Hi, you're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. On this podcast, we discuss our relationship with food, whether it is easy or less so, and how it affects our behaviour. I suffered with eating disorders for years, and it took everything to pull through. Now that I'm at the other side, I want to open up the conversation, find out how other people manage this basic and most fundamental of relationships. I'm taking a light approach, but I think if this area of our lives is skewed, then so is the rest. It's never just about food. Welcome back to season two of this Food Thing podcast. Today I'm here with Susan Burton. Susan is a writer and editor on the highly acclaimed This American Life, the weekly public radio program and podcast that makes and tells stories that are like little movies for radio. But Susan has also written her own story, Empty. Published by Random House last year to rave reviews, Susan's memoir details her obsession with food and secret life of compulsive eating and starving, dealing with both anorexia and binge eating disorder. The New York Times flagged how Susan expertly captured the circle of rage and shame that any addict can understand. Towards the end of Empty, Susan tells us that for a long time she was scared to write about her eating disorders. I'm very glad she did, not just because Empty is a beautiful, lyrical, albeit brutal must-read, but because she was brave enough to take the lid off and give meaning as to what it is to be here, living this human life in all its dirty glory. Susan, welcome to this Food Thing podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And what a beautiful introduction. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, I could have just spoken to you for 50 minutes about the book because I absolutely loved it. And for anyone who's listening, I highly recommend it if you have any issues around food or even if you don't, because it's just it's just a brilliant, brilliant read. Food, is it friend or is it foe? Where are you with it? I mean, there's sort of the aspirational answer, which mm. is that food is friend. <laughs> um, yeah. But the reality is that that sometimes it's still foe. I, I guess I guess the most honest answer is that it's both. Um, I would say so. I'm 47. Um, I would say for most of my life, food was foe, even before um, I had eating disorders in kind of a pathological way. As a kid, I was always really scared of food. So so it it was faux to some degree then, but there's always like a little bit of friend mixed in, you know, like a love for my grandmother's chocolate chip cookies or this like cornmeal okay. um, sort of sandwich loaf she would make. But but these days I would say I'm much closer to uh, to feeling like food is friend and to wanting food to be friend. Maybe that's the real difference it, these days is that I want food to be friend. Yeah, because it's exhausting, isn't it, the other way? And it just takes over, as you know, it takes over your life and, and just saps you of everything. Exactly. When you were a kid and you say that you were scared of food, do you mean in, in a like an OCD kind of a way? What, what do you mean by that? I mean, maybe, maybe there was some OCD element to it. Um, I was always fearful of, um, I mean, I think like kind of the earliest way I would describe it, I was, I was scared of, of something getting in me that I could never get out. Uh. I was scared that food would make me feel sick. I was scared that it would do something to me that it didn't do to other people. Um, and, and then there were more concrete things. Like I didn't like a lot of foods that other kids did. I didn't like soda. You know, one time I took a sip of soda and and felt like the bubbles, it was like they were like piercing nails exploding <laughs> in my nose or something. You know, like it didn't feel yes. good. I didn't like pizza. I didn't like, uh, you know, the, the snow cones that you would buy at a fair. You know, I didn't okay. like the flavoring. I just, there were so, I was, I was the kid who always wanted like something else at the birthday party. Um, and, and it was an early source of, of shame for me around food actually was like feeling like I needed to hide, um, that I had these fears and strange preferences and limits that I felt that other people didn't. So did that manifest in your family? Were you very different to how the rest of your family were eating? And were you ashamed of eating with your family? Because I'm thinking, are you talking about when you're like six or seven? 
Yeah. So I'm talking about, I'm really talking about, yes, the, okay. my entire, yeah, the, the whole way through. I mean, that's a really good question. Was I um, ashamed when eating with my family? No, I don't think I was, but okay. I was different. They, the, the, there was nobody else in my family who, who had that same uh, thing. Um, you know, where I did overlap was there was a lot of emphasis on my family on body size and, and on being thin. So, uh-huh. so that was definitely a point of intersection, but I was kind of the only one with these, uh, fears. What was the, ooh, what was the, um, emphasis on being thin? It was so, so both my parents, um, cared a lot about being thin. My yeah. mother was always talking about, um, uh, you know, my mother was, was never, uh, you know, heavy by, by like uh, using any doctor's chart as a metric or even like a societal norm, yeah. but she was, she was sort of fixated on the size of her, her very small stomach, okay. um, her small abdomen. My father was a serious amateur athlete, uh, right. triathlete, marathoner. And he was, you know, always, he, he read this bestseller called Fitter Fat. That was, that was a big book in, in my kind of late seventies, early eighties childhood. Yeah. And yeah. would obsess over like certain foods like shredded wheat. And my grandmother too, there's like a famous story that we would tell about her when you're back to school shopping. I was I was going into fifth grade and my younger sister uh, would have been five. We were in a dressing room together and at a you know clothing store. And my grandmother at one point, she just clapped her hands together and said, I'm so glad I have thin grandchildren. No you know, like, like, of, like of all the things to be <laughs> glad for. And the thing was like, I recognized like, gosh, that's a little weird. But at the same time, it was completely in keeping with... Um, with the norms of my family. Um, so, okay. so, you know, I absorb that as, as any kid would. And you're being a good daughter, aren't you? Dutiful and carrying on the family tradition and the family theme. Yes, that's, that's true. I was a good girl, for yeah. sure. Do, what, do you know anything about how your, your grandmother was brought up with food? Do you know, have you gone back yeah. that far? Yeah, I mean that is that is a, that's a really good question because it's something that my mother and I have talked about. Mm. So my grandmother was born um let's see gosh 1919 1920 okay. but her own mother was very focused on weight. So it's like a little wow. early in terms of wow. in terms of the you know the history of women and weight to, to yeah. have somebody um but but my grandmother um as a child was was often told um, that she was chubby. I, I think is actually probably the word that was used then. Um, so she was. It was in her very early on. But but what was also um, in the family, uh, sort of via my grandmother. So there's this like intergenerational transmission of, of of weird stuff about body size, but also a real love of of food and of the uh, kitchen and of baking and cooking. Uh, and so food was a site of. Of like both pleasure and vigilance, um, kind of oh, there's all the, the way through. Yeah. yeah, there's a conflict because that's impossible, isn't it? Because you cannot, you can't stay thin and maintain being thin and eat lots of baked goods. So you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of is that simple, isn't it? In in a way. Well, and it's also sort of you can't. Um, can you really have sort of? uninhibited kind of pure joy and pleasure um, in the food if, if another part of your brain is chastising yourself yeah. or or self-loathing or yeah. or fearful and which is not to say that that the other women in my family um felt this tension as acutely as I did I I think that that while the female members of my family have their own complicated relationships with food um you know I'm, I'm sort of the one uh for whom it it really took over so you were the one who absorbed it I can relate to that because my mum is super thin and she uh-huh. was overweight when she was at school. And she has this, she used to tell me this story that she ate 15 slices of bread. And I was like, oh, wow, mom, that's such a lot of bread to eat. And, um, and my stepdad was, was naturally skinny and he was, he was a Royal Marine. So he used to do lots of, you know, outdoor orienteering and skiing, et cetera. And my dad was always on a diet. And I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, but, um, you know, my mom was forever giving herself the small portion. And although, and I have two brothers who are also pretty obsessed with weight and I picked up on it and it was a very similar conflict. And although my family would deny saying that they're sort of sizest, you know, thin is best because they used to comment and they still do comment on people who are overweight and it's about being lazy or not being, to use your word, vigilant enough or, um, 
I don't know, careful enough or being greedy, you know, you mustn't be greedy. So I really get that conflict. Yeah. So what was hmm. what was your mother when your mother told you the story about the 15 slices of bread? Like what was kind of the moral of the story? Or like, did you understand why she was telling you? Well, she was at school and yeah. and she was big and she was sporty. Yeah. And I remember seeing pictures of her when I was a kid and I, she was like, this is me. And I was like, really? <laughs> wow. And, you know, it was wartime and, and she was like, yeah, I used to eat 15 slices of bread. And my mum, you know, probably eats half a slice now right? every two days. Right. Um, and I just think it's very interesting. And that whole thing about when you're a kid, if you're sensitive and, sensitive and empathic, then you're going to absorb, aren't you? The unconscious matter, you're going to un- absorb that. Exactly. So, okay. So you're a sensitive uh uh, picky with good reason, kid with your food. How did how did it develop? Well, there's sort of kind of two uh, points on the timeline uh, that that uh, that that stand out to me. So when I was the summer I was nine, I went on my first diet, and and I thought of it in my head as a diet, and you know I think looking back on it. You know, I could I could give you a very long answer that talks about everything that had happened for me emotionally in the yeah. months leading up to that diet. Yeah. Um, but in in my nine year old mind, it was really provoked by seeing another little girl at the swimming pool. It was the summer, mm-hmm. um, and there was a little girl on my swim team who was who was just she was she was a child and she was that kind of like waif like thin and she was so thin that the leg holes on her swimsuit gaped and that's what i wanted i I wanted yeah i wanted my leg holes to gape and um and so i went on a diet and and the form that took was i just i just um i just kind of stopped eating at dinner. I would just take a couple bites and uh, and I felt a real sense of power um, that I would come to know much more intimately later when, yeah. when my eating disorder sort of developed in full force. But it, it only lasted um, a week. And I remember being out shopping with my mother one morning and I caught my reflection in the glass and I felt like, oh, I like my legs look thinner. Like this is this is what I wanted. Right. And my mother sort of noticed at the same time. And she said, you don't look like yourself. You're too thin. Oh. And um, and but it was almost like that was affirmation. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, you've, you've been so so. Yeah. It, but then it sort of abated. I didn't intentionally try to lose weight again um, for some years. Uh, then. My parents got divorced when I was 13, and um, my mother and sister and I moved to Colorado from mm-hmm. Michigan, where we'd been living. My father stayed in Michigan, mm-hmm. and they'd had a troubled marriage, and it was a rough divorce, and um, and I struggled a lot emotionally um, in in the years that followed. And my sophomore year of high school, when I was 15. I accidentally, I say accidentally because <laughs> purposely litter, but I, I, yeah. I had a stomach bug and I lost okay. a couple pounds. Okay. And, and I found that I really, the lightness of having lost a couple pounds, like there was something about it, something about that feeling that felt like an unburdening. Unburdening. Um, okay. Can yeah. you describe it a bit more? It felt, I felt, um, it was both like a, a very kind of physical sensation. Mm-hmm. Like I liked the way I felt. Like I remember wearing this particular pair of Benetton wool pants <laughs> to school. <laughs> and I remember them feeling loose around my thighs and and loving that feeling. Right. But like I just felt more sort of able um, emotionally with this like emptiness inside. Um, and I sought more of that feeling. And and within, you know, several months after that, I lost my period. Um, and within several months after that, I'd, I'd begun binging, which, you know, I understand now that the restriction binging cycle yeah. is, is, is incredibly common, if not inevitable. Sure. Um, but, but I didn't know that at the time. So, so that was sort of the, the beginning. Well, so when you, when you felt more able and, mm-hmm. and you felt empty, mm-hmm. where in your body did you feel it? Or was it, were you still, did you still feel like you were in your body? 
but you were empty or were you kind of outside of it? So it was weightless. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, I do. I mean, um, you know, I, I mentioned that my mother was sort of fixated on her very small stomach. Yeah. And for me, the sight, if, you know, I think many people with eating disorders have sort of a part of their body that they obsess over. Yeah. And and for me, that part uh, has certainly been my abdomen. Okay. So I definitely felt the lightness there. But as far as like whether I felt in my body, I mean, I think that that was one of the things that predisposed me to eating disorders was I think I hadn't been somebody who ever felt completely at home in my body. Um, There, I was, um, you know, I was an athlete and I felt good. You know, I was a swimmer. I always felt so good in the water. There were, you know, there were sort of arenas in which I like inhabited my body. But but I think there was a sense of... um, of kind of unease always. And, yeah. and that's something I don't know that I've completely like unpacked or understood yet where that where that came from or what its origins are. I wonder if that feeling as well of, because of being in your body, having spent such a long time kind of being out of your body and lots of people are quite disassociated for many reasons. I wonder if, you know, we ever come into land fully or if it's just an ebb and flow and we get used to it being an ebb and flow and it being okay, because I can very much relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel, I feel now in my forties that I am, you know, I'm finding my body and finding my way into my body and understanding what it is to inhabit my body. But, you know, it wasn't even a concept that like, that would have even resonated, um, you know, for, for years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, okay, so n- then you start eating um, d- because you're starving, because you haven't eaten enough, and you start binging. Do you know, what I'm really curious about, because I was bulimic, I was anorexic and bulimic for a long time, um, but bulimic for longer, the thought of binging and not getting rid of the food was is my nightmare or was my nightmare i would have found that absolutely impossible it it's i mean it's so interesting because um as soon as you say that there's part of me that's like yes i completely understand <laughs> um but but the fact is that i didn't i didn't get rid of the food and i think that that actually is one of the things that was so tormenting to me about binging was knowing that i wasn't doing anything to undo it okay um and and I and it's it's been a real question for me is um is why I didn't purge and and I think you know there are a couple reasons like in uh in that moment you know in my mid teens beginning to binge I already had a certain amount of self knowledge mm-hmm. and I knew that if I purged once whether I threw up or took a laxative there there would be nothing that would stop me from doing it every single time like I just I just knew that 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 then forever it would be an option even if all I ate was one cracker and and I think that there was something self-protective in it yeah but but that said that impulse to uh for kind of like this ritual purification following the binge was there. And, and for me, what it took the form of was writing, um, you know, after a binge, I would inevitably sit down and write. And at first, you know, the pages, like it would just be like this kind of incoherent scrawl, Yeah. but eventually I would sort of calm and be able to reflect and make resolutions. And this was the last time and I would begin again. And so that was a purification in its own way. I mean, the last thing I'll say too, is that I was, mm. um, I, I was a teenager in, um, in Boulder, Colorado, yeah. which is a town with like a big culture of exercise. Yeah. And so, um, so I was, I was always burning calories, um, in a way that I was, I was conscious of. Um, although I, I, I've never been entirely convinced that like the exercise portion constitutes a real like purge in, in, in my own cycle. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's fascinating because it's like you were stuffing yourself with words and matter to then, Mm regurgitate onto kind of regurgitate what a lovely word um out onto the page and and I just think that's really clever that's interesting yeah I mean it did you know it's 
you know, the binging uh, when it started and as it continued was was definitely a way to cope with uh, with uncomfortable feelings, with feelings I didn't want to have, 100%. with feelings of disappointment or longing. or yeah. um, And in the moment I was binging, you know, I didn't feel anything. Um, but as soon as I stopped, there'd be a flood of feeling. And, um, and, and I think, you know, in, in that cycle, like that, that became a, a sensation I sought was, was kind of being flooded with, with feeling, even if those feelings included self-loathing and horror and yeah. fear and shame. Um, the intensity of that, um, kind of engendered like this, this, this creative output. Um, so, so that became a part of my own cycle too. It's so interesting just before we have a quick break, because I, had to get rid of everything so that I could be creative. Oh, wow. I had to be clean and clear and empty and not full. And when I used to binge and purge, I always, it was redemptive for me. It was like yes. Phoenix from the ashes. Yes. Um, and it was, I, I, I binged and purged cause I was angry cause I couldn't give voice to what I wanted to say. And of course mm-hmm. there was sadness there, but having looked back on it over the years, I think it was rage, but yeah, I couldn't do anything. You could, you could have said to me, you know, your mom's dying or the house next door is blowing up. And if I'd binged, I'd be like, I don't care. I have to get rid of this now. And then I'll sort out everything when, when, when I'm ready. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I have so much to respond to that, but I will (laughs) after we take the break. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Susan Burton, who I cut off at the break. She'd like to respond to what I was saying um, before. <laughs> Thank you. About my, my rage and, and binging. I don't know if it was about that. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I the thing that you said about needing to be empty and pure in order to like re-enter life or yeah, to, to yeah, continue 100%, to, to yeah. I mean that that for me played out in um in sort of a more prolonged way. I mean, after like I, I couldn't stop binging and finally the only solution I could imagine was what I phrased in my head as quit food. And uh, and so then I became, you know, anorexic for so for years and years. How long did and you, it was like so, I yeah. Sorry, how long yeah, did like, you how long did you binge for then? Sort of and then was it like 2 years and then you became anorexic? So I binged um beginning when I was 16. Um, through, um, through the end of college. So 16 through 21. Um, and then, you know, and then throughout my twenties, um, my twenties were really mainly defined by anorexia, which was kind of the thing I felt I needed to return to the world. But, but, you know, there, there were occasional binges during those years, but then in my mid to late twenties, um, the binging like came back and, and kind of took over my life, um, in, in a way that maybe wasn't, uh, as, um, you know, I didn't sort of drop out of life the way in college I'd, you know, dropped classes okay. and gotten D's okay. by my mid to late twenties, I was working, but in a way it was sort of more devastating than that. It was, uh, interfering with like my career and, and relationships in, in an adult way. And, and then, and then, um, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, I, it, it, I'm superstitious about even saying it aloud because it scares me. It's, yeah. it's, you know, I'm still working toward recovery and, yeah. and I feel like the binging is something that could always come back, but I haven't binged since my late twenties. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah. Although what do you constitute a, a binge? Um, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, for me, um, it, it was, you know, eating, eating a massive amount. So, so for instance, I remember, um, visiting, you know, I, I tried to go to therapy, um, a bunch of times before I actually did. And I remember visiting a therapist for an initial consultation and she asked me that question. She said, what is a binge? You know, cause a a binge could be a couple crackers. And, and my instant reaction was like, no, 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 that's not a binge. But, but I understand, I understand that could be a binge for me. A binge was, was eating, um, a massive amount of food, eating past the point of discomfort, um, you know, feeling sick, uh, and, and kind of a, it, not just the amount of food, but but the ferocity yeah. and the determination to sort of leave the world um, 
those were those those are among like my the the pieces that constitute a binge for me. So when you were binging, did, were you trying to suppress feelings in order to <laughs> express them? Do you do you know what was going on? I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you know, looking in retrospect, yes. Um, like you, I had a lot of um, unexpressed anger. Yeah. Um, and and I didn't know how to express it. Right. Um, but that was one of the things I I felt in a binge. I mean, the word I just used, ferocity. Yeah. Like that was a big part of it for me, kind of tearing around a kitchen or, you know, like tearing open a bag. Um, you know, and, and anger is something I still struggle um, to, to, to feel to, and to know how to express. Yeah, me too. Um, and, and so that's something I'm still working through. And, and then I think, um, other feelings of, of longing and disappointment and yearning, um, and, and a desire for closeness and connection and, and, you know, not having that. I don't think, you know, sometimes people talk about like, well, food was my friend, I wouldn't exactly describe it that way, mm-hmm. but but it I did often binge in response to um, feeling sad yeah. about um, something that that hadn't happened with with a friend. Yeah. H- how did you? Oh, let's talk about shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because as we grow older, I think perhaps we become more aware of our shame if we do carry shame. Um, yeah obviously to a greater or lesser extent for everybody. Do you know what your shame looks like if you were to characterize it or draw it or meet it? Can you personify it? Or is it like an amorphous mass? Gosh, uh, huh. How to answer that? I mean, um, you don't have to answer You know, my shame was so paralyzing. Um, for years, um, I mean, I think I think what I that the I think what I would say is, um, you know, in in I mean, I you know I thought about a lot about shame in writing my book because yeah. shame was the thing that prevented me from telling this story for so long and prevented me from doing so much for so long. But I came across um, like the the etymology of the word shame faced yeah. and, um, and shame faced is actually sort of a distortion of a very old word shame fast okay. and shame fast describes the feeling of being held tight by shame. Okay. And so, so if I was trying to, you know, personify or concretize shame, I think being held in its grip, wow. um, being, uh, held tightly by it, you know, rope around me or something yeah. might might be the way to answer that. Wow, completely imprisoned. Well, it is. It's paralyzing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, that's completely thrown me now. I've got this image of you with a rope around you. Um, um, so- <laughs> but, but also, but also, be honest, like another thing that comes into my head, yeah. which, which shows, the, you know, is an illustration to me of how much work I still need to do. I think of, um, I picture my, you know, 18, 19 year old self. I picture myself in the body that, uh, that, that was heaviest and I found most shameful, not only because of its size, but because of what I was doing on a daily basis. So I, so there's, there's an old version of myself that my mind sort of goes to as an embodiment of, of shame. And, and that makes me, that, that makes me sad. Yeah, sure. um, yeah. Did yeah. you get, did, were you big? I was never, like, I could always go into a store and, okay. and buy clothing. Um, and, and I see now that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think even at the time I knew, you know, I, I wasn't like obese on, on a medical chart, mm. but I did, you know, I gained, I'd gained half my body weight. Okay, um, wow. so, so, being in a body and then being in that body, you know, 50% bigger, um, it, it was an adjustment. Yeah, sure. Sure. So, okay. So you, so you're anorexic. Um, I know that you've had a very successful career and I imagine it was 
was it getting harder and harder to keep a secret? Did people around you know that something was going on? Because generally people do, don't they? Did your partner, did your family, how did you navigate that, that time? I mean, when I was binging, really nobody knew about it. I, I never told. My, uh, so my husband and I, we met at 17. We met at the very beginning okay. of our freshman year of college. We've been together since we were 20. Wow. Um, and he, he knew me when, when I was binging, although I, I never told him. Um, Did he know? And no, he didn't. He didn't know until didn't I sat down with him one night when we were, you know, forty-five years old after I'd written <laughs> almost the final manuscript of the book, and I told him. I mean, he he knew that, um, you know, when I was I was anorexic in in my early twenties in a in a way that was you know visible to sure. strangers on yeah. the street, yeah. and and that was that was obviously something that. Um, that we struggled with and that was hard for him yeah. and that he was scared of. Mm. But I think neither of us recognized that, um, that after kind of the scary acute phase of anorexia that I became anorexic in, in a more chronic way for years, but food in our marriage was, um, was certainly a site of tension. Um, I had a lot of fears and anxieties and need to control food. And, um, and, and in retrospect, I understand that, um, you know, there were social events that I just wouldn't want to go to. Yeah. And, um, and I never said aloud to him, it's because I can't eat there. But that was a lot of, of what was going on or, or uneasy interactions with, with his parents at the dinner table that weren't really about his parents. Um, yeah. They were about the food on the, yeah. on the table, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, uh, yeah, makes, makes me sad. But, but no, but nobody knew about the binging. Wow. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm just thinking how my my husband says that I'm controlling with food, and I and I am, but it makes me laugh because I think this is nothing. This is great. <laughs> this is the amount of control that I have over the food. When I whinge to him and say I wish you'd do a bit more cooking, and then he says, "Shall I cook?" and I go, "No, no, no, I'll do it." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing it because I'm being controlling. Um, but so, do you? Do you share cooking? Because I know that you have children, so you have a family and you, you know, you have to eat. So how, how, how is that now? We do share cooking. We do share cooking. And, um, and I've gotten, uh, that's, that's one of the ways I do feel I, I've moved forward. I am, um, I'm less, much less controlling than I used to be. Yeah. Um, and he's an, he's a terrific cook. Brilliant. I mean, I will, well I will be honest, like, like one of the, one of the things I'm working on right now is, um, so uh, a few summers ago, uh, I was I was out um, on on Long Island, uh, and and I looked down at my arm, and there was a tick on my arm, and um, and I, I took off the tick, and and I sent it to a lab, and I found out it was this kind of tick called a Lone Star tick, and Lone Star ticks um, don't transmit Lyme disease, but they uh, they do oftentimes result in this strange allergy to meat. Okay. And, and, and to, uh, to, to meat from all mammals. So, so not to poultry, but to, to mammalian meat. Okay. And so I became, you know, I had no evidence that I developed this allergy, <laughs> but there's sort of no way to find out if you have the allergy unless enough. you eat the meat. That was enough. So, so, but so, it, but, but I do feel like there was something very eating disordered about my decision. Like, uh, like, a, you know, here's a food I'm just going to eliminate, you yeah. know, I'm going to eliminate all beef, all pork. And my husband and our two sons um, eat meat, and and it's often uh, and something that that Mike will make for dinner. Okay. And I've been longing to eat the same dinner as my husband and children, and and that is a longing that is newer because for years, of course. Um, you know, I was, I was the mother at the table who was eating something different than, than the uh. rest of the family. And it never really bothered me. That was just the way it needed to be. But, but I think one of the things that I've come to is that food is something, you know, to be shared and, and to take pleasure in together. Yeah. And, um, and I really would like to get over my, uh, you know, m my irrational fear that, um, that I have this meat allergy and start eating meat, um, again. Oh, that's so interesting. One of the things that really helped me was when I met my husband, we spent a lot of time in Italy, in Sicily. Uh -huh. And um, oh, and we went with one of his friends because they'd been before. And oh, it was just when the airfares were really cheap. It was like 20 quid to fly to, fly to Sicily <laughs> from London. And um, 
it really it really helped me looking back i didn't realize but sitting looking out over the sea and i'd been vegan i'm kind of vegan now but and i was eating fish then yeah. and you know having a beautiful bottle of white wine and this fantastic salad and with all these great and you know it was such a cliche and a stereotype but it was true and it was happening and i was sitting there and and eating this fish and and the bread and everything it was just like yeah why wouldn't you this is what you do yeah. And it was, oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, that sounds yeah. lovely. It was. It was <laughs> terrific. Um, so, so I'm also interested because um, I haven't got children, and I, I was thinking about this today. I think, well, one of the reasons that probably I wasn't able to get pregnant was that I had a, a fear of how I would parent my own children and how I would feed them, and I really don't know how I would have managed that with all my mm -hmm. eating issues. Can I ask you how is that for you? Of course. Yeah. I mean. You know, I was very conscious that I didn't want to repeat, um, you know, I, I wasn't going to, to be like my grandmother and say, oh, I'm so glad I have thin children. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to, you know, we always, like another thing we always had growing up in my house, we always had a very special, like high-tech scale. Like I wasn't going to obsess over the scale. There were, there were all these very... Uh, sort of, to me, obvious things I wasn't going to do um, around an emphasis on on size and weight. But, but I think what I didn't understand, because I didn't understand quite how locked I still was in my own eating disorder, was the unconscious, you know, yeah. transmission of, of all kinds yep. of stuff. And I think that, that probably my children have internalized some of my fear and anxiety around food. Right. Um, they are kind of healthy, typical eaters. Yeah. Um, but but I think it's probably impossible that that they haven't taken something of that in. I think that, that dinner time um, has sometimes, you know, I, I think the the thing the the mother eating something different than the rest of the family. Yeah. I think that there's a message that 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 sends that they've probably taken in. Right. Um, but that said, um, they're you know they're both teenagers. Um, and and I think that one of the things um, I'd hoped in in writing the book is that it would open up a conversation in our family, and it would also show them that um, that adults you know, adults struggle and then you get help and talking about it helps yeah. and there's, there's no shame in talking about it. And so, um, so that's, that's not a message that has specifically to do with food. Yeah, um, sure. but, but I think that that's been one of the, the positive outcomes, um, for me. I mean, I will say also that as a parent, you know, we, like I, I learn, by observing them, by the joy, I, I see the joy that they take in food, wow, um, okay. whether it's food that I make or not. And, and so that kind of like loop is, uh, is really meaningful too. So do you have anything that you eat that you fully enjoy? Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, increasingly so. I okay. mean, I, I think, I think if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I might have said yes, yes, I enjoy food. Yes, I enjoy food. <laughs> but it, it, it um, but uh, but there would have been a real unease about it. I mean, even this morning, you mm. know, I had um, there's this bakery near us that makes this rye ficelle, um, oh. and it's it's delicious. And and I had it toasted and buttered, and um, and it was unambiguous pleasure. Like it it wasn't like uh, like oh this you know. Uh, th this is going to make me tired or it's going to get stuck inside me or mm. sort of all these phrases that, that might've, uh, that might've, uh, you know, uh, hampered my enjoyment of, of any kind of food in years past. Yeah. Um, or that, that, yeah. it's going to make me bloated. That's always the big thing, isn't it? All it was for me. Oh, I'm bloated. I'm bloated. This has bloated me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have had to, um, like develop a new relationship with, um, with my abdomen yeah. and, and kind of, <laughs> and kind of come to, you know, just like when a person puts something inside, yeah. like a person's body might temporarily change. Yeah, I, it just you know, might. Just, just most, yeah. <laughs> it just might. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Susan Burton, the writer of Empty. Um, one of the things I'd like to ask you, Susan, is that I know that you wrote your book before you went into therapy. Um, why did you, what prompted you to write the book? And then why did you go into therapy? 
because it's kind of like the wrong way around. I would have <laughs> gone into therapy and then written my book. Yes, I mean, um, it, it's it's uh, it isn't the usual course of action. I mean, I started out in my mid thirties. In my mid thirties, I signed a contract to write a very different book. Okay. It was it was meant to be a cultural history of the teenage girl, um, intertwined with the story of my own adolescence. Um, but when I sat down to write the first draft of that book, I mean, you know, the, the first half of the book was like what I'd signed up for, like, you know, chapters about the, you know, the history of junior misclothing and, okay. you know, my reinvention with the help of Seventeen magazine. Yeah. Um, but, but, but in the latter half of the book, um, I started writing about my, my binging, which, you know, had been, a, which was a secret and it just kind of took over the yeah. manuscript. And, um, and I got to the end and I was kind of paralyzed. I didn't know what to do. That wasn't the story I had intended to tell. It wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was the story I was ready to tell. It wasn't the book. I, I wasn't sure if this was a book that the publisher wanted to publish. Okay. And, and I basically spent years after that, um, trying to write the book I'd said I'd write. And, um, and it wasn't, I, I spent so long writing the book that, um, that I went through three different editors and, and the third editor read the manuscript and she's like, this is the story that you need to tell. The story of your eating disorders is the story that you need to tell. And I'm so, you know, I'm eternally grateful to her that she said that because it really gave me permission to tell the story that I needed to tell and that I knew that I wanted to tell, but I was too scared to admit that I really wanted to tell. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I didn't, um, I, I was scared to go to therapy during the writing of the book for, for reasons that, um, <clears throat> that made a lot of sense to me no, then, I get but, that. but sound kind of absurd now. Um, I was scared of of therapeutic language, yeah. like invading my prose, yeah. which, which I think is more a fear about letting anyone in. You know, so much of an eating disorder is about keeping people out and about being defended. And, and I think that speaks to like a larger fear of, of letting somebody in and not being able to trust like the reliability of the other and, and feeling scared about, um, about any kind of like collaboration. Um, and then once I had a pretty solid draft of the manuscript, I, you know, and I think it was like a need to kind of tell my own story, yeah. to feel absolute ownership. Um, and when I did finally go to therapy, I had a near final draft of the manuscript and I'd, um, I'd injured myself. Um, I'm a runner and I couldn't run. And I found, and maybe because I was no longer like actively writing, I had, um, I couldn't write to cope and I couldn't run to cope and right. I had like no other coping mechanisms. Wow. And, and I, and I, and I, and I think I also knew that, um, that releasing the secret very publicly into the world was going to mess with me psychologically yeah. in ways I couldn't predict. Yeah. Anyway. So I, uh, I went to see someone, um, a psychoanalyst who, whom I'm still working with and who has been just, you know, was sort of immediately important to me and, um, had, and has helped me understand that, that, you know, an eating disorder is not something you can get over by yourself. You need another, um, to, to, to work through it with. And, um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's been immensely valuable to me in so many ways. I totally get that though, because if I was writing and I imagine, Okay. Do I imagine? I imagine it came out like a, a kind of purge, not that you mm -hmm. purged. Yeah. You know, from a creative point of view, you're, you don't, you can't get in the way of that. You, nothing. You don't want anything to get in the way of it coming out onto the page. So I really get that. I think that was another clever move on your, on your part to, to write it and then deal with what happened afterwards, the feelings afterwards. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think it would have been, um, a, a different book, whether it would have been, um, a better book or a worse book, it would have been a different book. Yeah. I would have understood more. There's the, the book has a feeling of, um, of rawness yeah. and of somebody, me, yeah. <laughs> who, who was, who was in something when she wrote it. Like it's, it's, it's very explicitly not a book by somebody who is on the other side of something. It's, um, it's a, 
the the prose is controlled. Like it, 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 even if it came out in the first draft as a purge, I, I would say I'm proud of it as as a as a literary work, and it and it has the feel of something constructed on the page. But the emotion, there's a quality of kind of desperation. Like I I needed to figure this out. It motors, and it it, it you it, it's exactly that. And actually, I wanted to say this at the beginning. I've just remembered when I ordered it to read, and it arrived. I didn't open it. Because I and I looked at the cover, and I thought I'm going to save it because I know that I'm going to read it in one sitting, like a binge. That's for me. Yeah. And I opened the cover and I cried, and it just came up mm-hmm. from my feet and from the ground because I knew what was in there. Of course, I didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, how you constructed your sentences. I knew the weight of of what was in there, and um, it was extraordinary. And I did. I read it in one. I had a couple of breaks, but I just went through it and. Um, as I said at the beginning, just highly recommended. Um, I, I wonder what was it like when I'm trying to think what would have been the most important was the most important moment um, when you had finished your final draft, when you gave it over to the publisher, or when you went to see it because you must have gone to see it in the bookshop. Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to answer that, but I do really quickly want to say that the I just the the cover is 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 something that is so meaningful to me. It's by right. a, an artist named Lee Price, okay. and Lee is somebody who herself um, has 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 a history of eating disorders, and oh. and the cover shows a, a woman mid binge, and it's actually like a self. Lee does these self portraits where she photographs herself, like she constructs constructs the scene of a binge, and then she photographs herself, and then she makes an oil painting um sort of seeing it from above so there are all these sort of layers she's in the bath isn't she she's in the bathtub yeah exactly yeah Yeah. so so anyway i i highly recommend her work but as far as gosh the moment that was important um you know the the thing that rises to the top is um is is sitting down with my husband and telling him what the book was 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 really about, um, and it wasn't it wasn't a surprise to him that that it was that it was focused on um, on an eating thing like <laughs> like like I said like eating had been a source of tension. But he didn't he didn't even really know what binging was. Wow. Um, and and you know I had been so. Um, uncertain about how he would react. Like I said, we've been together for a really long time. And if I learned that he'd hidden something from me for years, you know, I, I would have all kinds of feelings. And, um, I, I just, you know, I feel enormously lucky that he, uh, is so sensitive and accepting and um, and it's really led to this new, I mean, it, it, this sounds like, this is like, whenever I talk about this part, it just feels like the most cliched part of my story, but like he, it, it's led to a new like openness and vulnerability in our relationship yeah. that has been uh, just really tender and exciting and, yeah. and wonderful. Yeah. I think that's fantastic because it's the, the layers get taken off, don't they? And yeah. and the the more vulnerable we are, and the less protected and defended, no, the less defended, with our, in our intimate relationships, there is that invitation for this this space to open up yeah. or not, you know, yeah. That, there's with that caveat or not, and I think if it does happen, then it's that's it. That's 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 what intimacy is about. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, that's, that's amazing. really true. I think that's amazing. Um, God, there's so many things that I could talk to you about, but I'm going to ask you your your final question. If you were on an island, and you can be on any island, you can be in any kind of climate, <laughs> yeah, you can be anywhere, uh, what five foods would you take to your island? Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because um, – uh, well, we have this house, yeah. <laughs> this summer house on um, on an island, oh, and wow. so I almost want to cheat. I almost want to cheat you, and you be can like, cheat. "Well, if I'm just at my house, you can do and, it. You can do I, that. <laughs> you can do what you want. It's your island. It's your place." I mean, I guess like I'll start the answer by saying, I am still inside. You know, this eating disorder stuff enough that there are like secret foods okay. that I would take to the island okay. that I'm not ready to say. <laughs> like there's, there's food, you know, my therapist talks about like, like some, like food, so, you know, the, the idea is for food to just be food, Yeah. but like, I'm not totally there yet. Okay. And so, so there's, there's, 
Are you going to take your public, your public foods? Because I listen. I, so yeah, you know, but 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 I don't. But I want to give a, a real answer. I mean, um, you can change it tomorrow. Okay, just for now. <laughs> if you were having I mean, to I'll go tell now, you, I would absolutely bring bread and butter. Okay. So so the, and and those are two two separate foods. I think yes. I would um, bread. Um, has been immensely important in my family, like a family of bread bakers and, and of all my, uh, stuff. I never was, um, like I always ate bread, even through all like the gluten-free and like low carb and bread, um, has been like a solid Uh, friend (laughs) um, throughout and butter. And I love butter. Wow! So I'm going to have bread and butter and I'm going to have sea salt. I'm going to have sea salt to sprinkle on the bread and butter. Okay. Um, what else am I going to have? I'm going to have something sweet. What sweet am I going to have? Um, hmm. <laughs> I am going to have, gosh, well, I think I'm going to have these Christmas cookies that, um, that are these Christmas cookies that my mother baked when I was a child that oh. I now bake for my own children. Oh. And, um, and they were always a very special food to me. There's there's three different kinds. They're all Swedish. There's three different kinds. Oh, and okay. and but they were significant to me even um, when I was binging because I was always very careful not to binge on them. Like I knew that I um, needed to like preserve their sanctity. Yeah. Somehow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'll bring those. Okay. And then lastly, so you got bread, butter, um, salt, cookies. <laughs> the cookies. One more. And then oh gosh, I need some. Um, I. I'm going to say that right now we have these early season cherries yeah. <laughs> that are downstairs in my refrigerator <laughs> and they are these delicious cherries. And because they're in my head today, I am going to pack them for the island. Okay. That sounds absolutely terrific. I have had people say that they won't take any food at all uh-huh. um, because they don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I also interviewed a very good friend of mine who's an actor who's got terrible OCD and he's he was obsessed when he was a kid with having um powdered food like an astronaut so he told me not to mock him and that he was going to take five sachets of uh powdered food (laughs) 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 which I thought was great but I love the fact that you entered into it because you were probably like no I don't want to take anything because I think I would have been the same but thank you (laughs) so much for coming on we will have we will have your um a picture of your book on the uh, Instagram page and, and all your information. Um, yeah, it's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you. I, I love talking to you. This was like a really wonderful way to, to start the day. Fantastic, thank you. fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know your favourite bit from this episode. Let me know on Instagram at This Food Thing Podcast or join us again in the next episode.